welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. And my guest uh, today is Fel Hound. Uh, she's a really excellent writer and artist who has a book coming out, uh, or a book that's out now, uh, Commander Rao from Scout Comics. So uh, we're going to dive right in. She's talking to Fel Hound uh, about Commander Rao. with fell hound and fell uh, are you are you named did you name yourself after the hell hades uh enemy uh no i actually i'm not familiar with that no there's Yay. a there's a demon <laughs> dog uh, called fell the fell hound in uh, <laughs> i know in the hell hades game and i'm not sure where else it might be from but i'm curious to know more about the name fell hound uh if you don't mind so Bellhound actually is from a video game, but it's not—it's not from that oh, one. The wrong uh, one. Which one? Um, there's a very old RPG called Planescape Torment. Sure. And there was like a like an extremely side character named Fell, and I think I don't remember what race of character they were, but the whole thing was that this this race of character—they're supposed to fly, so they're always floating. But this person named Fell, um, they chose not to float, and they're always on the ground using their feet, and that's why they're called Fell. And I don't oh, know why. She... I thought that was just neat. So I was like, oh, I guess that's a cool name. And then I, I was, um, sorry. I was going to say, I know it from a different game where it's a variation of a hellhound. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a very different uh, yeah. background there. I think a hellhound is a lot cooler. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the hound part actually is totally unrelated. Um, I was working on a biology project at the time. Uh, it was on like animal exercise. And I was doing a research project on hounds and dogs and how they move. And then I just kind of smashed the two together because I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> yeah, well, not only does it sound cool, but I've got to say your, your book, Commander Rao, uh, if you look at the cover of it, it has probably the best credits of any book, Hound Squids. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Squids, I, of course, being letter squids, your letter on this book. I, but you yourself are the writer and the artist, correct? Yes. Can you talk a bit about how you... So when we're when we're talking here, it's a little bit before the book is coming out, but this podcast will publish when the book is out and people can buy it, you know, from Scout Comics, you can buy from their comic store, order it however they like. Um, again, this Commander Rao, can you talk a bit about how you kind of devise this story and this comic and then sort of your path to landing it with Scout Comics? Um, yeah, so... Originally, um, I decided to make like a commander route because to be honest, I just wanted to practice drawing fight scenes. Um, I haven't really drawn that many comics before this one. Um, officially, this is probably my second comic. And before that, uh, my last work, Do You Believe in an Afterlife? It was kind of like a low key half comic, half prose kind of work that was very experimental. And I was just kind of looking at my portfolio and was like, okay, what, what's missing? And I was like, well, I haven't really drawn fight scenes before. So to me, Commander Rao was based upon just wanting to practice drawing movements and action and stuff like that. And then, you know, initially I was, to be honest, I was planning to re release this comic for free. Like I was talking to my friend about it and I was like, oh, you know, it's just a practice comic. I think I'll just put it out there for free and then 
hopefully you'll get attention and have some editors come look at it. And then my friend sat me down and was like, no, put it on Kickstarter, get some money for it. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I do like money. <laughs> so I decided to self-publish it on Kickstarter and it ended up doing like a lot better than I thought it would. Um, I think my last work, Do You Believe in Afterlife, at that point had sold maybe like 50 copies. So to get like 300 something backers on Commander Rao just like overshot my expectations. And um, from what people told me, they, they really liked it. They were really invested in the comic and they wanted more. So I was like, all right. I think that's kind of what gave me the extra confidence to try to pitch this book. Um, and I had known some people who have worked with Scout before. I know some of the uh, folks who like had books at Scout and they all said like fairly good things about it. And I don't know, I just thought, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, shoot my shots, pitch it to Scout, see what happens. And then I think a week later I sent them the pitch. I got an email back being like, so is this still available? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so there's a bunch of things that are interesting in that path to me. Uh, so I just want to kind of dive into a few specific ones. So one is simply, um, so just to kind of jump in the middle of it a little bit, when you're talking, when you did the book on Kickstarter. Um, so one of the things that you, 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 as you said, you did the book, the book did quite well. It, you know, doubled or tripled its original ask. Um, and I'm curious to know why you think that happened. You know, what do you think resonated in the book with people? Um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, from what people have told me, um, before I did release the book on Kickstarter, I was sharing kind of snippets of the character design and some of the pages. And I think that's what kind of gained some traction. Uh, I had a lot of people telling me that they thought the character looked really cool. Um, and I think I just had some, some really good friends who, you know, they were invested in my work and invested in the, the character I was making. And they really helped to push the book, especially at launch. Um, I also got some, uh, I guess, comments on the cover. People said the cover looked really cool and they wanted to check it out. So I guess that was kind of another point on how it got people's attention. But I think it was mostly to do with just the friends I had who were very, very good and very helpful. Um, I had a lot, a lot of friends teaching me how to use Kickstarter and like how to promote one and just people being really nice and helping me push the book. <laughs> And just to sort of pick into two things there, could you talk more about the character design uh, for Commander Rao, like sort of how you um, developed that character design? Yeah, absolutely. So um, before I actually had the character Commander Rao, um, like a couple of years ago, I was sketching in my sketchbook and I was in like a phase where I drew like a lot of sci-fi soldiers. So I designed and drew a bunch of like sci-fi looking soldiers and at that time, I was also really into um, uh, an anime called Rose of Versailles. Uh, it's a pretty old anime, but there's this character called Lady Oscar, who is super awesome. They're like this badass sword lady. And I was really in love with just the, just the character designs in that book, kind of like the old fashioned, like uh, 17th century kind of look. And I was just kind of looking at that kind of art style and the soldiers I was sketching. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to kind of blend the two designs together to have something sci-fi and futuristic, but still kind of old-fashioned looking, like an old-fashioned general. Um, 
And at that time, I was also really into um, Lady Maria from Bloodborne. Like I looked at her character design and I was like just reading up on Bloodborne lore and I thought she was so cool. I think her character design is so well done and like just just everything about her, her the way she was presented. Like, I mean, she's only like a four minute fight scene in this giant game, but yet she's one of the most popular characters. So I was actually kind of studying that and thinking about why is this character who's only there for like four minutes, one of the most popular characters in this like, I don't know, 30, 50 hour game. And I think it had a lot to do with A, her character design, B, her presentation, like just the way that you know, um, her fight scenes were handled, the way she kind of spoke, and just general execution and atmosphere of the character. And I think that's kind of what inspired Commander Rao. I wanted Commander Rao to have that very similar intriguing aura as Lady Maria from Bloodborne. So I wanted her to have like a very cool character design. I wanted her to look a little bit mysterious. And I just wanted her to just you know, when the moment she comes on, she feels like this iconic character that's already kind of lived in in this world. So those are probably my biggest inspirations for the character and the design of Commander Rao. That's a mistake that I see a lot of writers making is that they won't have mystery to the character. And they'll just, a lot of writers I see will come in uh, and they won't do what you did, <laughs> which is that they, they'll like, you know, as the character is on screen for the first time or you know in the page one or whatever they just they have like here's a hundred thousand words about this character's backstory and as you're meeting the character yeah (laughs) and it's like there's no mystery there's nothing there's no gap you know that the audience can fill they're not wondering things and you know Mm -hmm. there's a level which of course an audience doesn't want to wonder forever perhaps but like that idea of having a person fully formed, where you like you get a sense that, as you say, they've lived in this world for some time, and we're going to catch up. They know more than us. Like there's a level at which uh, that tends to work well in terms of creating those iconic characters, like you say, because mm-hmm. there's just so much that the audience can do with them and think about them. Yeah, like they have to think about them. You know what I mean? Like whereas a different character who just gets introed in a way where now we here's a bunch of information. Uh, about this person and well what, we don't need to think about them anymore right yeah uh, exactly so it's curious especially you bring up bloodborne it's, it's a game that i'm also kind of I, i've gotten very fascinated by bloodborne although i i can't say i played it much because every time i start playing it i feel like this is going to eat oh, 200 hours of my life and i don't know if i can spend that right now but uh, it's yeah. it's so fascinating even just every little snippet i learn about it has so much behind it you know in that way absolutely and i'll be completely honest i've never played it because i'm very bad at dark souls type games like i don't think i've gotten past 30 minutes of dark souls but same here yeah although i'm obsessed with it i just bought a big hardcover dark souls book you know well i'm the same way like the design mm -hmm. of the world is so good that you just fall in love with it even though you you know even though you've never played it it's still just so captivating yeah, I mean, I'm not good at video games. I do a lot of work with the video game companies and stuff. But I, I'm not good at the games. And so, uh, but I just find them so interesting and fascinating. But that that sort of storytelling structure where it's, um, it is also a comic structure, like, you know, where there's so much in the gutter that's happening, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of writers I find just will forget that. 
the forget that you can leave things in the gutter, <laughs> you know, and, and there's like a way in which the audience filling it in, um, as long as they're not lost completely yeah. or they, and it does go somewhere, um, like they kind of will get it. Like they're trained to read that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could also talk about the cover design. So, because you mentioned, you know, the character design, the cover design, they kind of go hand in hand in the sense that the character's on the yeah. cover, but also, um, I'm curious to know from your perspective as an artist and also putting this book together, what you think goes into a good cover? Like what makes for a good cover design or what are the kinds of things you try to do or look for uh, in a strong cover design? Yeah, so um, for the Commander Rao cover in particular, I was actually very inspired by the works of uh, J.H. Williams who drew the Batwoman books and recently drew Echolands. And he has like such an almost like abstract, surreal way of doing um, his cover works, but it's so good. Um, I think I actually have one of them here. I'm just going to He's pull the it one up. that did that Sandman, right? The recent... Uh, yeah, the, Sandman Overture. That, that really crazily paneled one. Probably. That sounds like him. <laughs> Overture, yes. You're right. That's the one, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a fascinating uh, artist, yeah. Very mathematical, it seems, in terms of the... Uh, layouts i'm not sure but they're very ornate yeah like um he i think he actually said at one point that he doesn't actually like plan out the layouts he just draws and just makes it up as he goes along which is incredible but um i guess in terms of a good cover i think um with commander round in particular i wanted something that was high contrast um something that was laid out a little different than other covers with like a you know, heavy use of shapes and silhouettes, which is something I love, and just something very dynamic that told the story in the cover itself. Um, but yeah, uh, I think mostly I just, I looked at J.H. Williams' work and I was like, I wish I could do something this cool. And then I just, you know, looked at what he did and he uses a lot of like shapes and contrast. Uh, I was like, okay, let me try doing that. <laughs> What's your actual background as an artist and a writer? Like, where do you come from in that sense? Um, so I don't really have a lot of formal training. I was mostly self-taught. Um, like, I think in college, I picked up that woman elegy drawn by J.H. Williams, and I was like, this looks so cool. I want to do this. And then I just kind of slowly taught myself to draw. Um, I, I was writing a lot more than I was drawing. Like, in high school, I'd write short stories and some really bad poetry. <laughs> but it, it never really... I never really got serious about it until after college. And I was like, comics are cool. I want to make comics. What made you get serious about comics though? Because a lot of people think comics are cool. A lot of people want to make comics, but very few people actually will do that. In fact, you'll talk to people, I'm sure. Uh, I've seen people do this. Somebody was telling me the other uh, day, uh, uh, my friend Zach Schuster was saying the other day, he remembers being at a con and somebody came up to him and, and, you know, it was like, you know, I don't know, I would get do anything to do what you guys are doing and make comics. And so I was like, well, you know, you should just start with drawing for five minutes a day. And the guy's like, well, I can never do that. You know, <laughs> like yeah. a lot of people just, they have this idea, but they don't really follow through on it. And I'm just curious. I'm always curious to know what separates people who follow through. Yeah. So um, as I said, I was a bigger writer, then I was an artist back then, and I've always had a love of storytelling. Um, and I don't know why, but I also found writing to be very hard for me, which is why, you know, even in works like Commander Rao, 
there's not really a lot of dialogue. It's mostly just visual storytelling. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why, but when I was in college, I somehow thought that if I had pictures to help tell the story along with the words, then it would make writing a lot easier. <laughs> and so that was really how I started drawing. Um, and also the fact that, you know, I really liked comics, but I, you know, as a broke college student, I couldn't really afford an artist. So I was like, okay, I could either spend the next four years trying to save up and afford an artist, or I can spend the next four years just teaching myself how to draw. And I just decided to teach myself how to draw. <laughs> hmm. No, it's, 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 it's always interesting, like how people come at it. And um, I'm curious to know as well, um, well, you mentioned visual storytelling. A lot of this co co this uh, story is told through um, the visuals. You know, there are some words in here, of course, but it's not very word-heavy comic. Although I will note it that it's a very sound effects-heavy comic. You know, it's you know very <laughs> interesting uh, how many and how complicated some of the sound effects are. I'm curious to know: Were you? Is that all uh, letter squids, or are you? Or to what degree were you orchestrating these sound effects? So, yeah, uh, I'd say like 99% of the sound effects were all letter squids. Um, like, I think with, when it comes to letters, I'm pretty easygoing with how they want to work. And with letter squids, he's like, he likes to make up his own sound effects. He likes to, you know, make up sounds that work for him. And letter squids, he's a very uh, dynamic and bold letterer, which mm -hmm. is something that I do love. So I just kind of, when I gave him the script, I, did, I had like, actually not that much SFX in it. And he just kind of did his own thing. And I was like, great. <laughs> so yeah, it was all squids pretty much. <laughs> you also opened the comic with a, um, a fake uh, newspaper page. Uh, and I'm, I, I've seen that a, in a number of people have done that. Uh, of course, the most famously Alan Moore did in Watchmen. Uh, mm -hmm not because of opening so much, but you know, did that kind of thing consistently. I'm curious to know why you decided to open with that because a lot of people shy away from uh, like a first page that has a lot of text on it. Yeah. Especially in a comic that really doesn't have a lot of text. I I'm curious to know like where you kind of came up with the idea to make that the first page. So that was actually a late edition. Initially, the comic did not have that. A page initially but when I was kind of going through the comic without that page I felt like there was just no context to anything Commander Rao was doing like we didn't have the background on you know why what she was doing mattered and at that point uh, <laughs> to be honest it was kind of a lazy way out I didn't want to like add more pages of lore and exposition to the comic and draw like an extra 30 pages just explaining all the background stuff so I decided to just have a newspaper page that kind of, you know, laid out the scene for everyone. Um, I, I bolded the important sections. So we didn't want to read it all, just read the bolded parts and move on. But yeah, it was just kind of like my quick way to introduce people to the world. And I figured I could hopefully get away with it because the rest of the comic doesn't have a lot of dialogue in it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in some ways it kind of frees you up from having to have that dialogue later on, you know, and uh, and as you say, it is a, a skippable thing in the sense that um, probably people should read it, but if they want to just forget about the context and get right to the action, it does allow that option too, rather than having to 
spread the exposition out in uh, the kind of a more, more normal way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm normally not a big fan of, like, a too heavy exposition, but when I guess when you have a comic that's only 30 pages long, that's 90% fight scenes, it's like, I don't know where else to put this. So that was kind of, like, my quick band-aid fix on just laying the scene and then moving on with the, all the cool fight stuff I wanted to do. <laughs> now, when you were um, developing this, you say you had done a book where it was kind of more heavily prose mixed with uh, illustration um, prior to this. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, like, when you did that particular book, how did you find people received that book? Because I've seen a few examples of that, you know, uh, that, and, and overall I find it really interesting, mm-hmm. but I don't see too many people doing it. And I also am always interested and curious to know how, uh, how audiences sort of seem to respond to that approach. It's so, not really what you're doing yeah. kind of row, but I, I'm curious to know a bit more about that earlier project and how you felt it went. Yeah, so um, personally for me, I, I decided to go with the half comics and half prose because um, at that point I was, I hadn't really done comics in a while and I was trying to get slowly back into sequential art and I I was still kind of figuring things out and I realized I didn't want to like cripple myself with a very long project. So having just the prose bits in between allowed me to tell a story without, you know, drawing a hundred pages of art that I wasn't, you know, comfortable drawing at the time. Um, but I think just because of the way I promoted it, like I told everybody, instead of calling it uh, just a comic, I called it a, like a comic zine. So they were expecting more of like an experimental approach to it. Um, and uh, not gonna lie, I think most people who brought Do You Believe in an Afterlife were my friends. So might be a little biased, but they seem to enjoy it, so. I think as long as you're kind of upfront with what you're offering and like, yeah, the work you do is of some quality. I think people generally don't mind a more experimental approach to things. Um, yeah. What I've found is, uh, you know, I, I'm not a person who does any sort of drawing. So like I've written comics, uh, but you know, my artist, GMB Kamichik is the artist that I've worked with the most. Um, uh, we've got a book coming out of heavy metal, out of heavy metal called the eye collector. And, uh, oh, it's like this kind of weird, surreal horror calling, but I, what I've noticed, uh, you know, before that I've been very, um, much, you know, just publishing, you know, words on a page, uh, mm-hmm. no visual, visual stuff. Yeah. What I've noticed, uh, is the big difference is that if there's some visuals in there, it's easier to convince people to just look at it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like what I've I grew very jealous of my comics friends uh, and my artist friends. And one reason I kind of started to move into comics was honestly, I just was like, it's so much harder to get people to read these words uh when there's no f- pictures around. Like because if they like the pictures, then they'll start looking, they, they can look at the pictures and within five seconds, one second they know if they like it. Yeah. And they know if they want more, you know. Uh, yeah. and I, I would see Gregory uh, at you know conventions and people would walk past his table and either they'd just walk past or they'd stop. And I, you know, because they'd just see the image and they, you know, they want to see more or they don't. And I was very jealous of that uh, ability that artists have, because I was like, you know, all these words on the page, they look exactly the same. 
until you start to pay attention and read them. And it just is so much upfront investment to ask of a reader in a, in a weird sort of way. Like to even that. decide if they like you, they've got to spend like half an hour. Yeah, it's um, like, as I said, I was a writer before I was drawing and I definitely feel those pains. It was very hard to get anybody to read a short story or even a script if I didn't have like some kind of art to it. Or they say like, yeah, I'll totally read it. And then three months later you check in and it was like, so any progress? And they're like, oh, you forgot. <laughs> But. Yeah, it's it's it, there's the curse of it on the other side. You know, you, it's so much harder to make art, honestly. Like, <laughs> like it takes so much more time. You know, you take maybe a, a a page might take you, you know, I don't know, eight hours to draw versus ten minutes to write. But you know, somebody's going to look at it for two seconds <laughs> versus yeah. like read it for you know ten minutes. You know, and yeah. so there's like this flip side of it too. But I feel like it, it's just something that I've. I've noticed like the ask is so much um, the ask of the audience seems so much smaller if there's visual elements in there, uh, you know, even though maybe the work is more on your end in some respects, I've, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting to me, like just kind of looking at that dynamic. And so when you bring Kickstarter into it, for example, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, I mean, I've seen it, it's comics tend to do much better than a prose works on kickstarter for i think a lot of reasonable reasons mm -hmm. um but of course you know not everything succeeds on kickstarter or even you know does super well or anything yeah. um so i'm curious to know like I, I think a lot of people and a lot of students i talk to especially will have that impulse that you say you first had uh, which is you know well, i'll just give things away for free and i feel yeah. like I feel like that actually was a winning strategy at one point in history. And now it's not um, because I feel like we've been so inundated now with things for free. What I've noticed is that people don't want them. Um, they'd rather pay you money uh, because at least that, and, and if they pay you money, they actually are more invested. They actually might read it as yeah. opposed to just click, click download. Now it's mine. But you know, it's, it doesn't occupy any headspace. I find that with uh, teaching, even when I used to give a lot of free advice to people, and then I, I noticed that when I charged them for the advice, they would actually take it. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. in a weird sort of way, like it was better for them if I charged them money. Could you talk a bit more about getting over that hurdle of like, oh, I should ask for money for this thing? Because I feel like it's a psychic hurdle a lot of people have. I've seen it in, you know, punk shows. They don't want to ask for money. You know, artists are uncomfortable quoting a rate. Writers yeah. who, you know, always undercut one another with quoting rates. Like, I just noticed a lot of hesitancy and I understand the hesitancy. And I'm curious to know, like, for yourself, like, how did you kind of get over that, uh, obs that kind of mental obstacle of like, oh, no, I should ask for money for this? Yeah, I think... I guess imposter syndrome was kind of a big part of it because as I said, Commander Rao was only kind of officially my second comic and uh, I was just going to give it away for free because I felt like nobody knew who I was and nobody knew my work and that it would be really hard to get like an audience to pay for my stuff if they didn't know who I was. And I thought maybe if I gave it out for free, it would just be like, you know, attention, a way to build an audience. But um, the way Kickstarter works is that I think there is a very active comics community on Kickstarter who are open to checking out new works from new writers. And I'm just talking with my friend, 
Um, he was, you know, he's had some books on Kickstarter before and he was like all for it. He says, you know, I mean, you're not really gaining a whole lot by just giving things out for free. Like, you know, why would you do that when you can at least get some money and build an audience at the same time, rather than just build an audience that you don't even know if they're going to show up or not. So I think that was kind of just talking with him, uh, just kind of changed my view on things. And I was like, you know, I think putting it on Kickstarter, which is a platform that a lot of, you know, people in the comics community use and that they check out on a regular basis, that might actually help me build like an even bigger audience than just giving it out for free. And I think in some ways it did work to that advantage because I there were a lot of people who backed the book who I had no idea who they were. And I think that just slowly helps you build an audience on Kickstarter so that if you wanted to kickstart something in the future, you can just, you know, try to rein that audience back in. But yeah. I think the other thing that people often overlook is that even if you have a smaller audience um, than you would say giving a thing away for free, um, it is an audience of people who are willing to support you <laughs> as yeah. opposed to just people who are there and Absolutely. want something like, um, there's a bit more of a back and forth to that audience, you know, and not that, you know, it's bad to give things out for free or anything, but even like, I feel like it, 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 that kind of Kickstarter audience or that kind of audience you develop where you're kind of having back and forth with the audience. It's like, you know, they're paying to support you. You're working hard to make something for them or, you know, or, or like that's an audience that maybe, down the line, it makes more sense to give to something free to them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which I like, this is the thing I like about the Kickstarter stretch goals, you know, this whole idea that now everyone's getting some, you know, better thing uh, yeah. because there's a community that's built around it. Say, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not averse to giving things out for free in any way, but I, I do find like it, 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 it's, it's just a different audience, you know, and uh, yeah. it, you know, whatever audience you want, I guess, is the, the question, you know, what, what audience are you after? I think sometimes people don't think about that audience. So I'm curious to know, just to kind of skip ahead to something here now moving with scout comics. Yeah. You know, so there's a different publishing path, uh, a different sort of way of connecting to an audience, putting somebody else now in between you and the audience to a certain degree, like you already had like Kickstarter there. And now like Scout is there as well. I'm curious to know like what, um, if you could talk more about uh, why you've won, like why you wanted to uh, find a publisher like Scout and two, um, what, was there any sort of hurdle that you had to overcome or any issue that they had with the fact that you'd already published the comic yourself? Yeah, so the thing with Scout is that they're very open to picking up Kickstarter comics. A lot of comics on their slate were previously Kickstarted, like White Ash uh, by Charlie Stickney. He's one of the co-publishers at Scout, but he still uses Kickstarter all the time. Uh, Same with their other co-publisher, David Byrne. Uh, I think his book, Steak, was also put on Kickstarter and then just released through Scout. So the reason why I went to them first and foremost was because I knew they would be comfortable putting out a book that was already out on Kickstarter. And they are very open to the idea that Kickstarter and the direct market are ultimately two different audiences. Um, but uh, for me, going from the Kickstarter route 
to scout with publishing. I think it was just you know, a way to A, get more of an audience and B, I think there are some advantages to having a publisher that, you know, I don't have myself. Like I don't have a list of like 400 shops that I could send the book to. And even if I did, like, I don't know how to send out, you know, books to 400 shops all by myself. So having just like distribution and a network, I think are pretty good things. Um, I am learning a lot of stuff about the direct market. Um, I, I think generally things are a lot slower, obviously, than if you were doing everything yourself on a small scale. But at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, it's, it's pros and cons. Um, I think it's important to find a publisher who aren't, you know, after all of your rights. <laughs> like you still want to have some ownership of your work. And that's another reason why I went with Scout because I know they don't take IP ownership. Um, and from what I've heard about Scout, they're pretty easygoing with your work. Like they don't demand too many changes to it. They're just kind of, if they like your stuff then they'll just put it out. And for me as a creator, I, I enjoy that freedom and I was really grateful for it. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's just a, you know, a good way to learn a new path on how to get an audience, uh, a new way to learn how to promote your books and just, you know, testing the waters, seeing which one I would maybe prefer in the future if I prefer to keep self-publishing it or if I prefer working in the direct market, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and how are you doing Commander Rao with them? Are you doing, uh, is it now the first issue of a series? Like how, how are you actually moving forward with that character and that a book yeah so right now it's just the one shot that i've pitched that they've, they've agreed to publish um i am working on some other books within the Rauverse that aren't necessarily about the commander character and i think i've just been slowly trying to figure out what i want to do with the character um the thing is that when i released commander out as i said i mostly made it to practice fight scenes and i did not anticipate it they actually doing as well as it did. Um, and when people started asking, like, if I was going to have more Commander Rao, I was like, yeah, sure. But I, you know, the thing about me is that I take a very long time to build a story. And so, you know, I want to make sure if I do have more Commander Rao books, I do it right and don't just like push something out because people wanted it. So yeah, between working on um, some other stories in the Ravers that focus on some other characters and figuring out what to do with the commander character next and making sure I don't screw that up. <laughs> but yeah, um, but right now it's just the, the one shot that's being released and hopefully we'll see how well it does. And if it does well, hopefully we can have more Rao books in the future. And how do you find working on a book like this versus working like as the writer and artist? Um, how do you approach it differently than when you are, you know, just working as an artist for somebody? Yeah, so I think when I am working as just an artist, um, to be completely honest, I find the process more streamlined because it's like, here's a writer, here's their script, and you just kind of work with that and work with them, and then you send it off to the letterer. Um, with me, I'm a little more chaotic. <laughs> Um, with Commander Rao, I didn't even have a script before I started drawing it. I literally like drew some thumbnails, um, had like some very basic dialogue down, and then I just went ahead and drew the comic. And then after I drew the comic, I went back and wrote in most of the script and the dialogue. And that's how stuff like the, um, the first newspaper page came into play. Because when I was writing the script, I was like, oh, there are things I need to explain. I'll just add this other page. <laughs> um, but I, 
as I said, uh, I think it's very much a learning curve for me still trying to write and draw and have everything streamlined. Um, I, you know, with my next works coming up, I've decided to hire an editor to help keep me in line and make sure I don't cause further chaos with letters and other people involved <laughs> by having such a chaotic process. Um, but yeah, generally, I think when it comes to drawing and writing everything myself, I don't think as hard about the process and I just kind of go with the flow, which is both good and bad. <laughs> sure. And have you, um, are you interested in writing for another artist? Is that something you've kind of been uh, curious about at all? Because you mentioned initially you were sort of getting into art in some ways to avoid that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious to know, like, if that's something that is kind of on your radar as a thing you want to do or not. Um, it, you know, at, at some point, I think it would be cool. I've written some short comic scripts, um, like at the end of Commander Rao, there's a, um, I actually, as one of the stretch goals, it was a bonus comic written by me and drawn by Jeremy Simser, who's a, like a storyboard artist for like a bunch of Marvel movies and Game of Thrones and stuff like that. So that was really fun. Um, being on the other side of it and being able to receive somebody else's art of my writing. Um, and I think at some point I might consider doing more writing stuff, but I think I also like having some of the creative control when it comes to drawing my own things. And also it costs a lot of money to hire artists, which to be honest is my biggest I guess setback into moving towards just a writing role. Yeah, it's definitely the biggest problem with, <laughs> with that process. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm doing. And I'll tell you, it's uh, it's not easy. Yeah. It can get costly very fast, especially if you're you know, doing a 100-page comic or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I'm also just curious to know, coming out of the Kickstarter that you did, you know, although it, you know, it did very well, I'm curious to know what you would do differently next time. That's a very good question. I think generally I would do more um, press release to actually like comic sites and maybe do more stuff like podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. Because with Commander Out, I didn't, you know, I didn't put out a press release. I didn't do any kind of interviews or anything. I just kind of put it out there. And then if people approach me they, who want to talk about the book, I was like, sure. But I didn't have any kind of, you know, official marketing or PR setup. Um, and I think that's something I would like to do more in the future, especially now that I have, you know, a little bit more connections. If I have something coming out through a publisher, they might actually look at my press release this time. <laughs> um, and I think just, um, yeah, just trying to get that sort of official, almost official outreach through more sites is something that I want to change. And yeah, I don't know. I think with last time when I kickstarted Commander Rao, I, I made use of a lot of uh, humor and memes to kickstart the book, which people responded well to. So if people enjoy that stuff, I might just do more of it. <laughs> and do you have any other plans to do uh, another Kickstarter at this point? Or uh, I do, yeah. Um, I have one slated um, hopefully early 2022, which is for um, another... Uh, story in the Raoverse, but it focuses on the character of Julie instead. So one of the, not Commander Rao herself, but one of the side characters, and we're gonna, you know, learn more about her and why she was so important to the person who eventually became Commander Rao. 
So that's for early 2022. And then I'm, you know, when I do make more route books, I'll probably still put them on Kickstarter first, just because, you know, I think it's kind of cool to have, you know, retain that Kickstarter audience as best you can. Like a lot of my friends, they don't really go to comic shops, unfortunately, but they will like back stuff on Kickstarter. So I think I like I did enjoy using Kickstarter and I like having kind of that um, creative control over, you know, some aspects of printing and distribution. So I think it is something that I would do more of in the future. I won't take too much more of your time before I let you go, but I want to ask you, why is this book important to you? That's a great question. <laughs> well, I think ultimately, you know, I think I was just very um, endeared by the amount of support it got, like as something that I just created. You know, I think when I first uh, made Commander Route, I didn't have that big of an audience and I didn't really have that many people who knew who I was or were invested in my work. And, you know, making Commander Rao and seeing all that support from people like the people who back the kickstarter people who you know um voted for me in the sequential magazine awards or like just people who were just retweet or commented or liked my work i think a lot of that was very um like it kind of opened my eyes to see how people responded to it and it just i think it was the first kind of book that made me feel like i was a part of the community and that tore away at some of my imposter syndrome and was like a very a reassuring notion that I could become a comics artist, I could become a comics writer. And ultimately, I think that's what I'm most grateful for with the release of Commander Rao. It was just that community support that I experienced and that have helped me, you know, get this far into the comics realm. And I honestly think that's probably the most important part of the book that's happened so far. (laughs) I mean, I do love the character and the story itself, don't get me wrong, but you know, it, it wouldn't have gone anywhere if it weren't for those people who rooted for me. And if people want to kind of join that community a bit and get connected with you online, like where's the best place for them to kind of find your work or, or just find out more about you or just, you know, get get in your face a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm most active on Twitter. You can find me at fellhound underscore. I'm also on Instagram, I think at, at fell.hound. Um, I think if you Google fellhound art, hopefully everything should come up. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if the best place, if you want to chill and hang out and talk is probably Twitter. I'm pretty active there. I like to check out, you know, new works from new creators and all that. So yeah, Twitter and Instagram. I also have a Gumroad for some of my self-published stuff. So if you want to check out stuff like, do you believe in an afterlife? I believe that's gumroad.com slash Excellent. Thanks so much uh, for talking to me and uh, all those links, of course, we'll also put in the show description here. If you want to just click through and check out uh, more from Fell. And uh, yeah, thanks uh, for chatting with me and congratulations on Commander Rao. I hope uh, it does really well and I hope you listening go uh, check it out from Scout Comics. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast talking with you and yeah, hopefully I've convinced you to pick up commander Rao, and if not hopefully you can check out some of my future work excellent <laughs> thank you great thanks very much have a great Take day care. bye you too